With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that eventually ends, but then comes back again. I have a very rare and special, special treat for you. A intriguing and, I would say, hard-working young mind out there in the world of what we now call draft Twitter. I believe we have Bradley Italo. Yes. How you doing, Bill? It's uh, fun to talk about positions of strengths and some weaknesses with you today. Yeah, strengths and weaknesses. And uh, obviously, we have two days of combine activities in and one day of sort of the publicly broadcast combine. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you'll have the opportunity of, of being there in Indianapolis. It is, with everything that goes on actually there at the Combine, there's even more that goes on that you only get to experience if you're there. Uh, you get to see a lot of people. You realize the NFL is, people talk about the football family. You realize how many people in the NFL know, they all know each other is what you realize. And you go to things like the Senior Bowl or the Combine or things like that, uh, they all, either they work together someplace else or their sons played against each other in high school. Or it's just an amazingly connected thing. People's daughters marry each other's sons. and It's just, it would be interesting if somebody did a study hmm. of how many levels of connection there are between, either by blood or marriage, people who work in the NFL, even mm-hmm. in front office. The number, I'm sure, is shockingly high. Uh, it is, it is, it is true to some extent, at least in the football family. There's a, yeah. a huge number of people who are, are connected. You see that when you go there and you see the people having drinks or going to dinner and the parties and things like that. Uh, in addition to, it's like a mini job fair. Loads of people who are trying to get into coaching, scouting. Uh, people who are trying to get into uh, representing. You know, there's a lot of young agents, some of whom have clients there at the Combine, some of whom don't yet have clients there at the Combine, but are trying to sort of see what it's like and watch the big dogs and things like that and learn from them. But, yes, it is an amazing experience. that We are now entering the peak level of draft season to some extent. You know, if we think of uh, the actual college football season as our – preseason, sort of an odd way, if those that, that work in the draft. And then the regular season begins once you get to things like East-West Shrine and NFLPA and Senior Bowl, and you finally get to find out exactly how tall or not and how heavy or not uh, a lot of the people you've been studying are. And then now we're, we're kind of into the playoffs, right? You get yeah. into the combine and the pro days. This is the playoffs, and then the draft itself is our Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. It is, absolutely. Uh, this combine has been really fun to watch. I mean, what we've seen from, like, Saquon Barkley went on it, and then Bo Scarborough has just been ridiculous so far. So I, I can't wait for the next couple of days as well. Yeah, Bo Scarborough is an interesting prospect because 
uh, he's never really produced as a mm-hmm. as a comedian. And my favorite description, and I can't remember the person I, I retweeted it. But I can't remember the person who said it. They said he's a he's a monster made of glass. Beast, oh. sorry, beast, beast made of glass. And I was like, oh, it's perfect because exactly what he is. He's a beast yeah. made of glass. Uh, he's never been able to stay healthy and. He's never been, quote unquote, the man. You know, he's never mm-hmm. been the guy that's expected to actually carry the load. And usually, that's how it plays out in the in the future. I mean, rarely do you see somebody who's been nothing more than sort of a complimentary back become the main back at the next level. The closest is Priest Holmes, in mm-hmm. terms of a guy that went from having you know a smaller share in college to having a larger share in the pros. That's one guy in. Mm-hmm something odd years that's managed to pull it off. So oh, yeah, he had a nice career. He had a nice career, right, exactly. He had a nice career. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's won in 40-something odd years <laughs> that it ever happened. <laughs> so the odds are against Bo Scarborough ever being more than, you know, a piece of a backfield. But mm-hmm. wish him luck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, with his size and whatnot, he'll be fun to watch. I think... Uh, what I've, from what I've seen of his vision, and obviously when he's healthy, he's a very powerful back with just how big he is, um, and he runs at a low enough pad level. So if, if he can't stay healthy, I don't know if uh, being a starter is out of the question for him, but, again, that's going to be the issue with him. So he'll be an interesting player to player to follow in his career. Yes. Yes, it would be a nice, nice little case study. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's Because, I mean, essentially, if you do this and you want to keep doing this, you take it somewhat seriously. Yeah. It's good to begin to build up your, your database enough mm-hmm. so that you see how it's played out over the years when a guy had – a lot of people get excited, especially about the physical freaks. And, of course, it's exciting. I mean, that's you get excited because they're unusual. The term freak mm-hmm. points out that it's an unusual event. However, uh, as has been pointed out many, many times from people that have watched, you know, what Antonio Brown has done as opposed to what somebody like uh, – uh, Justin Hunter is done, right? I mean, there's sure. their productivity. Some people will sort of say, well, you know, I don't consider production a trade. I do. There are guys who figure out how to produce, whether they're the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, whatever or not, they figure out a way. Wealth Walker figures out a way. Mm-hmm. Antonio Brown's figured out a way. Oh, yeah. his, nothing about his physical testing would make you think this guy's going to dominate the NFL. However, right. If you look at his production in his years at Central Michigan, you'd be like, oh, wait, there's there's something here. Hmm. Because he was drawing number ones. I mean, he was the he was the guy you worried about. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, in Dan LaFever, they had a, what I used to call the Max Tim Tebow, a guy who was a pretty decent running threat and didn't have the world's greatest mechanics built better than Tebow's, but struggled at times to be he, you know, plays the ball correctly, but the good news, in a weird kind of way for Antonio Brown, is like a bad ball drill, you know, 40% of the time he was having to make late adjustments to balls that probably should have been thrown a little bit differently, but he managed right. to snag them. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's going to look for. I mean, it, it's great when you have a quarterback that puts the ball right there all the time, but even in the NFL, that's not going to happen all the time uh, mm-hmm. because of pressure or because, hey, they're not perfect. They're not jugs machines. Sometimes the ball comes out a little funny. And I've seen those things during the touchdowns. I've seen Antonio Brown at the pro level. You know, in fact, gave me the Browns leads to mind. I've seen <laughs> ball, ball comes out all kinds of crazy funny. And he 
make some late adjustment, shake somebody, and boom, it goes from being what maybe should have been an interception or a batted ball is batted down to now it's a big player who's going to touch that. So exactly. how you're weird, right? And the, the people who are into the neuroscience side of this, and that's something that we don't yet have, you know, as, as a combine event or whatever, is should we right. actually test some neural map and showing, you know, who can respond to stimuli a certain way. But this is this is this is sort of the next frontier for those that deal with the physical testing, is mm-hmm. to now show what someone's neurological potential is, right? Here's how yeah. this person reacts. Here's how well this person learns from seeing something or hearing something. You know, that's mm-hmm. the next great uh, you know, the next great beyond in terms of this. So we've seen a couple of position groups. Obviously the running backs got a chance to, to trot their wares. The offensive line yep. group got a chance to show off a little bit. Yeah. Uh, tell me about, we'll start with those two groups, and then we'll sort of talk about the other groups for strength and weaknesses. Yeah, so start with the running. Oh, you yeah, just, sorry, go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Like about or not like about this class, and, and who are mm-hmm. some of your favorites? Yeah, so starting with the running back class, I mean, this class I think is, uh, last year we had a historically good class here. We had uh, two different guys going round one, and then had a couple more guys, really strong guys on the second round, and some third round contributors. Um, but this class is really good on its own. I think Saquon Barkley is, he might be the best prospect I've ever scouted in my three years covering the draft. Some really strong guys, and with Ronald Jones, Darius Geis, Sony Michelle, who had a, a bad 40 today, but I, I'm still really high on his, his talent. Um, and then we're going to see some, you know, like the Nick Chubbs of the world and Naheem Hines after Yarn Heath's 438, Carry on Johnson had a good day. Uh, this is a this is a class with you know Saquon Barkley as the elite talent, and then just a really a lot of good guys that'll go late day one, uh, day and then on day two as well. Um, that I'm really excited about that can come in and be I think starting backs very early on in their career and put up maybe a couple of them will put up uh, late seasons like we saw some of the rookies do this year. Um, so I'm really high on this class. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of contributors, and like I said, with Barkley and guys some elite talent as well. What are your, what are your thoughts on it? Well, the things that I, I like about the class, there's a lot of versatility in the class. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of guys who do a lot of things well. Mm-hmm. So beyond Barkley's, you know, freak show, um, physically, <laughs> the things mm-hmm. he can do, he's also a guy that has a pretty solid understanding of who to block in blitz pickup. People have already raved about his pass-catching ability. The, yeah. the David Johnson comp, Eh, not quite. I mean, though he certainly catches the ball well. He's a better athlete than David Johnson, which is saying he is. David Johnson is a really good athlete. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he's about ten percent more. You know, of everything that you like in David Johnson physically. I think Johnson yeah. is a little more developed because Johnson actually did play wide receiver in college. Right. He's a little developed as a guy in terms of route deception and stride manipulation, and you know, knowing how to snag the ball outside of his frame and things like that. He's Guy mm. could play wide receiver in the NFL if he had to. If you said, you know, David, we've decided to move you to wide receiver, he would be okay. You know, if that's what you say, he'd be pretty darn good at that too. Oh yeah, Saquon Barkley is a back that catches the ball well. There's a bit of a difference there. Yeah. But that having been said, uh, he's special. Uh, Rashad yes. Penny is a guy that somebody's going to get a couple rounds later and be thrilled with what they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't like. I like Tony Michelle. I don't like him better than Chubb, but I never was on it's sort of like with the Fournette thing and um and Geist. A lot of people will start saying, you know, Geist is better than Fournette. Well, 
prove it. I mean, he's for that thing that guys have never done. And same thing with Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle is a really good running back, but mm-hmm. he's never done the thing Chubb's done. Chubb's yeah. out There's no way around that. And mm-hmm. same competition, same offensive line. Like he's going to be like this. There's no variable to throw out there that says, well, this guy's better because, oh, no, they're in the exact same situation. If one guy outproduces the other guy in the right. exact situation. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right? And so, you know, you can like him better, but you can't see you don't have any – that's just your feelings, right? You're not – Yeah. You can, you can, not, we, we all have feelings, but I try to find things that are verifiable. And yeah. I know that they're both playing the same level of competition, clearly. They're playing with the exact same teammates, obviously. And one guy manages to get more done as a football player. I'm inclined to think maybe that guy's a slightly better prospect. Yeah, but I, I hear you. Yeah, but I feel like Tony Michelle. I just think he's, once again, going to be more of a complimentary, and a good complimentary back. I mean, Chuck could be basically a slightly taller Doug Martin without some of the Doug Martin off-field stuff. But yeah, he's he basically Doug Martin. And mm-hmm. which is bad. I mean, without the off-field stuff, Doug Martin was a really good running back to you know, separate him from his other issues, which I don't know if he'll ever be able to. But yeah. he's once again. I mean, if you care about run lines, the Chubs are really good athletes. The, the young ladies in their family are really good athletes. They've got some track and volleyball uh, stars amongst the, the young ladies in their family. Uh, obviously, he's got. Family members in the league, family members who are about to be in the league. Yes, yeah, his brother. Yeah, you got right. If you care about that kind of stuff, they've got that too. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's a solid family full of really good athletes, and he once again he knows his way to the weight room. I mean, he, not quite to the level of Saquon Barkley, who is you know almost singular in terms of his power to weight ratio, something close to singular. Uh, I think. Ricky Williams didn't like the weight room as much, but he had a similar level of football power and speed. You don't see that combination quite that often, like I said. And he's a little bit bigger. Ricky, I think, weighed in at 225 for the combine. He's even a little bit bigger than Ricky Williams. But he's rare, what you see as him. Tony Michelle is, is, is a good back. I just think he's, like, he's more of a – he's a guy who has a really good solid, solid career. I would say he's the man in the same way that I think a guy like Chubb probably will be. Uh, like I said, the Scott Penny is, is a guy that I, I think has a chance to be more than people think. I, I don't know what it is that people don't like about him, except, okay, once again, he has, and he has owned up his struggle in, he's not quite as bad as, say, Adrian Peterson has managed to be a pretty good NFL running back who never seemed to really grasp this pickup. But right. he's worked, and we'll see if he gets there. Uh, but then Chase Edmonds, once again, not a guy who's likely to ever be seen man. But if you want to have that "quote unquote" three-man committee, he's going to be a very important part of that that three-back committee. Chase Edmonds mm-hmm. is great, really super elusive, a little more power than you might think. Uh, he's not the biggest cat in the world, but he runs a little more stuff than I think people give him credit for. Then, oh yeah, when you take a look at just the the thickness, the depth. I mean, there's lots of guys who aren't even there at the combine. Don't have to take. Uh, Right, Lance Turner's really good running back, just for every reason get invited. Uh, mm. I like Jeff Wilson a great deal. There's a really, I mean, you mentioned Ronald Johnson, who unfortunately uh, hurt himself being able to show off, you know, his, he might have been the fastest running back in the class. We'll know his answer was, you know, it was for the pro day, but that's, you know, sort of an apple to 
have to talk in there. Because one of the things that scouts like about the combine is it is a stressful experience. You can see how people deal with the stress of the combine. Mm-hmm. The pro mm-hmm. day is not stressful. You've got a full night's rest. You're sleeping in your own bed. You're eating where you normally eat. You know, there's nothing taking you outside your comfort zone. So that's sure. part of why pro day numbers are higher. Another thing, of course, is that they bring your environment. You can't see another way. But you are often running on a faster surface yep. or around your own teammates and your own coaches. There's a bunch of reasons why, why most people have better numbers that they ever for that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll have to, like I said, wait for that. And even some, and even Barclay is going to do some things that his pro day he didn't do at the combine for reasons I'm not exactly sure of. I think he would have crushed the broad job. I, I, I'm surprised he didn't want to show off that. <laughs> uh, he also didn't do the three-tone, which that's a more of a, I won't say it's a red flag, it's like a, a light yellow flag. I would love to see you speak on, we have to wait on that. And then the other thing that that, that sort of intrigues me, that everybody, not everybody, but so many players skip it. I'm, I just give them an echo check mark that you do this the long tail of the 60-yard pedal, because I would say probably 80% of the players won't, won't perform it. But the players that do do this the long tail, it sort of shows me a little extra. And it's one of the things that helped me to spot Jordy Nelson is back mm-hmm. here. He ran one of the fastest, once again, it's sort of skewed because so many players skip it, but I think he ran one of the fastest 60-yard long shells in the history of the combine. Not the fastest, but in the top 10 or so, or 5 to 10 in the, in the history of the combine. Sure. And he did it voluntarily. Like, I mean, because like, some people skip it, and it's, we sort of downgrade people with skipping certain things, but nobody downgrades people with skipping just the 60-yard shells that so many players do play uh, the other things that, that I, I think sort of uh, stood out to me or stand out to me, uh, I don't think guys had a bad combine or a bad 40. I mean, that's that's about average. You know, that's about what the average is on my run. My gore. I mean, I, a lot of really successful enough by running back ran somewhere between 4, 5, 7, and 4, 6, 3. Uh, Blake Bell was a 4 6 eight. And there's a lot of guys who have solid careers. Uh, Emmett Smith is a 4 6 there, There's a lot really, especially just this business long speed anyway. That's not really his thing. Uh, he's not a guy who just run away from NFL defensive backs for a living. That's not going to be his thing. He's going to run right. into them. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you know, it doesn't matter as much for a guy that's looking to run to darkness as opposed to the kind of guy that's going to you know, run to daylight. He runs the darkness. He's not afraid of contact, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's his thing. You know, it's like the old saying about when you're a wrestler and you get in a fight, and I was a wrestler, um, you want to get the thing to the ground as fast as possible as opposed to standing up because the ground is my water and I'm a shark and you can't even swim. It's sort of that <laughs> same way. And he, he treats contact as his water and he's a shark. And most people, especially DB, um, the game has changed a lot because safeties are almost just slightly tougher cornerbacks nowadays as opposed to the sort of human baseball bats they were when I first started watching this game back in the 70s. So you now have this running back class, which has uh, a Terry Ann Johnson, right? Uh, Cameron yep. Petway. Petway, that's someone who had a bad day at the office. That's somebody who had a bad day at the office. Uh, but it's a, it's a deep class with a lot of different types of running backs in it from guys who were 
basically wide receiver, like ninety nine, who did mm-hmm. run surprisingly. I mean, he's a track all conference, multiple track all conference guy. Uh, I think he holds school records at NC State in three different sprint events. So unsurprisingly, he ran four three eight, which is almost exactly what I predicted for him. And mm-hmm. once again, it comes down to how he's going to be used. Uh, if he goes to, you know, once again, somebody like oh Sean Payton, least to mind, who oh. realizes exactly how to use the, you know, Joker move around space player. Mm. Not everybody knows how to use that guy, right? I mean, but if you realize this guy could be your Danny Woodhead, but faster, uh, can be your your Darren Sproles, but you know, more slender and faster. You're going to figure out things that you can design around him. I mean. A lot of guys like Z Archer never become anything. One, because I mean, he's, when you're that size, he's even smaller than I, you have certain limitations. And two, not everyone has a great imagination. I mean, you'd like to believe that every offensive coordinator in the New has a great imagination, but that's, you know, not all of them do. They're not all imaginative. Some of them have done certain things the way they've done them since they were young coaches and 15, 20 years of experience would have had success doing it a certain way and made them not always be innovative. But it was interesting to and what how he's used. But yeah, that's a that's a extraordinarily interesting and fun group of uh of backs. And we haven't even talked about like I mean there's there's so many good backs that we could probably spend two hours on if we wanted to. Um, yeah. But one other one that I want to make sure we mention, a couple more, but, but one one that's at least fascinating is Kevin is, is Balazs. Another guy yeah. who never quite done what everyone kept saying he was going to do. You know, every year was going to be the year that he broke through and dominated. And he, he was always gave you flashes. He had a game here and a game there where he looked like the best running back in the class, or one of the best running backs in the class. And then that that one game would fit all by itself for the next four or five while he didn't do very much. Right. So, <laughs> you know, that's one of the things I'm sure he's being asked about while he's in Minneapolis. Hey, man, you know, <laughs> I'd be taping him so-and-so. Couldn't find you for the next four games. What happened? Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, if you've got you have to ask those questions. And right. you've already talked to the coaching staff at almost every time. In fact, you've you already know the answer, so almost every question you ever asked when you're asking these questions. If you want to see what he has to say about it, how does he explain it, right? Does he say, you know, it's all politics, man, they're out to get me, you know, whatever. Because um, guys have said things like that. Yeah. I've seen him do it. Right? I've seen guys throw their coaches or whoever it is under the bus. Sometimes I've seen guys not really have an answer and just kind of shut down, and then, of course, what you're hoping for is that the guy will give you a real answer and sort of own up to his part of the accountability if there was a, something that he could have done uh, to have made that a better situation. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Uh, someone else who intrigues me is Dimitri Flowers. Now, he very well, I mean, if you wanted to, uh, they, they listed at least one other sort of running back type, getting back to NC State, as a tight end, and, you know, once again, you can't see the air quotes, you could very well have listed Dimitri Flowers as a tight end if you wanted to. He's another mm-hmm. one of those guys who needs to land in the right situation. Um, if you just want to turn him into a blocking fullback, 
Well, one is, why would you do that? What's wrong with you? But two, he wasted the best part of what he is. So once again, I hope he goes to a place where they actually have some level of imagination. A guy that I like more than almost everybody on the planet is Jarvion Franklin from West Michigan. Uh, once again, a, a back with some size. He's been productive. He did have one um, ACL tear in his career. But other than that, uh, I think that's the only significant injury he had in his career. Royce Freeman is a guy at one point with everybody's RB1 practically in the country. And then, you know, a guy that came in, came to Oregon with tremendous hype and fanfare, had some really good early production in his career, sort of had some stuff, you know, and then pulled it back together and had a pretty decent close out to his career. And it'll be interesting to see where he lands. That's another guy that has a lot to like there. John Kelly, a lot of people are predicting he's the next down tomorrow. That's, that's High bar to clear. Yeah. Uh, I think he'll be good. You know, you might not want to put Kamar on him. That's kind of kind of a tough way to go. Uh, mm-hmm. How about Aaron Jones, people? Let's let's you know be a little realistic with it. But yes, I think you see him being Aaron Jones. I could see him being Aaron Jones kind of career. And once again, um, hopefully he'll land someplace where they'll put him to use. Uh, where they'll make use of him. Akron Wadley is another major order third down back. Uh, mm-hmm. Walton. Mark Walt, a lot of people really like him. Another major order third down back, sort of in the Amir Abdullah, though maybe a little less explosive, but sort of in the Amir Abdullah uh, role. A slightly concerning, super. Uh, both Wally and, and uh, Walton have short arms, very short arms, and a lot of people don't think that that's important. But here's the two things where where arm length really comes into play, and while why there is a threshold below which there have been no long term successful starters in terms of running back with arm length. One is, once again, blocking. Uh, but yeah. You have super short arms, and you're not the biggest cat in the world. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to struggle for you. And then two, ball security. Uh, the thing yeah. that hurts that you use to lock up the ball against your body is, you can't see me gesturing, but the, between your wrist here, you know, this and your elbow. Now, if you've right. got nine and a half inch arms, that's, that's not quite even the length of the football uh, from no. here to here. Most likely, unless you have super short upper arms and freaking long <laughs> forearms, and I guess that might bail you out, but that's not how most people's arms are made. So that's a bit of a concern for some of the some of the smaller frame guys have longer arms, and it just allows them to be more ball secure. Um, and then you just work on ball security, hopefully, if you've had challenges in that area. Uh, a guy who did not have a great day at the office, but I still like him, is Justin Crawford. Uh, obviously, not a guy with great long speed, but quick. One Another guy I do like who had a pretty good day at the office, actually, was Justin Jackson. Another one of those guys who I think is destined for that running back by committee situation, but I think he'll be very solid as that mm-hmm. change of pace runner. Jordan Wilkins, another one of the smaller frames. Well, it's just a smaller frame. He's not that small. Uh, shorter arm, though. He's one of the shorter arm guys there. He's, he's not very linked, but he's uh, this is six feet and five eight of an inch. So he's actually taller than I guessed. I thought he was going to come in close to the five eleven, and he weighed in at two sixteen. So he's actually a decent size back. This is a pretty big class in terms mm-hmm. of height weight. Um, there are some sprinkled in smaller guys, and last but not least, a guy that I don't know why he's getting is getting more love than he's getting is Jeffrey Wilson from North Texas. Uh, measured in at five eleven and a half, two hundred ten pounds. That's good because he played as low as 196 at various points. 
very productive, tougher than you'd expect from a guy that size. Uh, Chris Warren, uh, of course, I, this is one of my feel old moments. I've got his father, who started his career here to Virginia and then transferred to Ferrum, and of course played with the Seahawks in the NFL. And now I'm scouting his son. This has happened to me quite a few times now, and I'm I'm just dreading the day when I finally, you know, Tony Dorsett's grandson or somebody's grandson. Oh boy. Well, I mean, hey, I, I scouted Tony Dorsett. I scouted Anthony Dorsett, who was a running uh, not a running back, but a defensive back, uh, which is smart. You know, don't you want to play the same position as a Hall of Fame father, unless <laughs> you know, you know, unless you're one of the Matthews, where you know, doesn't matter as much. I guess it's they're running out of positions. I guess quarterback. Well, by the way, they haven't produced on this family. Uh, no DBs and no quarterbacks. I mean, no, no, wait, no receivers are tied in, I guess, either. or running backs. It's either linemen or linebackers, I guess, mm-hmm. in their family. But, uh, but yeah, so it's a solid. Uh, another guy that me, sort of told everyone, okay, maybe I am a fullback. Uh, a lot of people liked Ryan Nall, and I saw a lot of comparisons to um, uh, Mike Allstott, who I got a chance to see in high school as well as in his career. Mike Offset went to Joliet Catholic High School uh, in just west of Chicago and was a, you know, battering ram. I mean, the same guy you saw at Purdue and eventually you got to see with Tampa Bay. He was, and I guess he had a cup of coffee with Atlanta right at the end of his career. But um, he was that guy throughout, right? I mean, he was just no fun to tackle. High school, any level. Uh, Nall is not quite, but who is? I mean, not quite that human battering ram. Nobody quite that anymore. But uh, he showed people that he probably can't be, you know, a featured back with the time he ran today. So he and LeVon Crawford and uh, a couple other guys sort of... There's only a few teams that still really keep a fullback on the roster, but some of the guys that were there today, perhaps even Chris Warren, may end up sliding into that fullback role on some of the teams that do to carry fullbacks. Mm-hmm. So that's a solid class. Lots of life there. Well, one point I want to bring up, I'm interested to see what your thoughts are on this. You talked about uh, how production is a you know, big part of your process. What do you think about guys like a Royce Freeman, who's been very productive, averaged 5.9 yards of carry in his time in Oregon, but has 947 career carries, uh, and he hasn't even taken an NFL snap. How do you... What do you think teams look at there? What do you look at there when, uh, especially for a running back who's already taken a lot of hits? Well, guess what? Go to, the, go to the NFL Hall of Fame. Every single one of those guys took a lot of hits in college. Yeah? I think people over, it's not the number of hits, it's the severity of hits. So if a guy is good at not taking the kill shot, that's, and that's a learned skill. Guys mm-hmm. who take a lot of carries and don't break down physically, have figured out how not take the kill shot, right? Mm-hmm. So I worry more about the guys like Scarborough with a handful of carries who break down. Those are the guys that freak me out. <laughs> you okay. know, that's mm-hmm. the ones I about. You don't find those guys in the Hall of Fame. No. O.J. Simpson, a huge amount of carries at USC, right? Mm-hmm. Mark mm-hmm. Allen set a record for touches while he was at USC. Um, when, he, when he was the first college player to go over 2,000 yards, he did an 11-game season, right? <laughs> Remember, <laughs> that's a, that's where they added these extra games that guys have nowadays. He did a 2,000-yard rushing season in 11 games. So the guys, all guys have lots of touches. Yeah. All the guys have lots of touches. If you're looking for a great back with a guy with lots of touches, the guys who didn't get a lot of touches don't usually make the Hall of Fame. 
Yeah, it's true. I mean, I guess I never really thought about it that way. I just know, uh, hey, I guess it really comes down to their injury history a lot more than their um, how many touches they've got. Like you said with Scarborough, the guy looks like he's going to get you know injured um, on nearly every game when he gets the ball. That's a bigger concern than a guy that's just taking a lot of hits, but it has been able to go through. My guy that I always think of that is Le'Veon Bell. I mean, he, we see games where he gets 30 handles, and he's just so good at the end of his runs at just making that little juke and just getting that hit on the thigh versus in the ribs or the head or whatever. I, I always think of him when I, when I think of that skill. Yep. Marshall Falk is a lot, all the great ones. That's why they get all those carries. That's why they can keep getting carries because they manage, they figured out how not to take the kill shot. Right. So if you're looking for a great pack, look for the guy that had a lot of carries. Mm-hmm. What about low mileage running backs never become more than pieces. They never become great. Uh, you would think people would figure it out by now. The Hall of Fame is not full of low mileage running backs. It's full of high mileage running backs. Yeah. So if you want to call it great, look, I have a lot of touches. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm really, I'm kind of, kind of flipping to your side here because uh, I know that was the thing with Royce. Obviously, you'd obviously rather have a guy, at least in my opinion, that was a junior rather than senior. Only had three years. You just get that extra year of him before he reaches that proverbial age 30 drop off but um yeah he'll be right. Royce will be interesting to see in that sense I don't picture him even being a starter at least early on and getting that many uh getting a ton of touches so they shouldn't have to worry about that early on but um he'll be another guy interesting to follow uh, but moving on to this offensive line class what yeah. we saw was Brian O'Neill today was fantastic he ran a 4-8 and then he had a really good three cone drill I think he's by far the most uh, just purely athletic uh, left tackle in this class. And then, man, oh, man, what we saw with Orlando Brown, yikes. I mean, where is he going to go now? I think he hurt <laughs> his stock more than I, maybe I've ever seen anyone hurt their stock. Uh, he was maybe going to be in the late first consideration. Now I don't know. Where do you think he goes now? Well, I never had him in the first. I, I never sure. thought he was going to be able to play left tackle. I never mm-hmm. understood how people could watch the tape and think he could play left tackle. Yeah, uh, too slow. I always thought he was a right tackle only. And... Mm-hmm. Now I have to wonder if he can even do that. Yeah. Here's the things that jump out at me. People have been defending the whole 14 reps thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, he has long. But the arm length by itself doesn't explain that away. He clearly, and we saw it exposed in the other drills, has not worked hard in right. condition. I mean, he hasn't. I mean, I don't care how big you are. If you're weak, they're going to figure that out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and on top of that, you're slow. That's a bad combination in the NFL, weak and slow. <laughs> I'm just letting you know, in case you didn't already know this. I know, you know you're a little younger than I am, but you probably have figured it out yourself. Weak and slow is not what they're looking for. Right. And when you add on possibly lazy, I mean, that's, that's the kiss of death. If you're weak, slow, and maybe a little bit lazy on top of it, that's, you can't play. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it's not about, you can't be an NFL player. I don't care what your reputation is, who your father was, all those, how big you are. If you're weak, slow, and a little bit lazy, somebody else is going to get that job. Somebody yep. you won't even be a swing tackle. They only carry, most teams carry either seven or eight offensive linemen. That's it. Mm-hmm. They only carry seven or eight. That's it. Eight is the maximum, right? There's only 32 right. teams. <laughs> you know, that's only, that's only a handful of, that's 256 jobs for offensive linemen in the entire NFL. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be one of the best 256 offensive linemen in, in the world with that. Right. That's 
guy we saw today can't be one of the 256. He can't. So either he's going to have to have one of the great moments of, I mean, this is to be one of those, you know, like, like the training montage, the Rocky <laughs> music, chasing a chicken around, punching meat. I mean, he's going to have to have one of the great transformations of the history of ever, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, the chances are not great of him ever being a great player. No. For him to be an okay player, a swing tackle, it's going to take a minor miracle, Bradley, a small <laughs> miracle for him to even be that. You know what Von Miller's going to do to a guy that moves like that? Oh, boy. You see what I'm saying? Or, yeah. Maybe, well, you have to go to Von Miller. Whitney Merciless. I mean, there's a lot of dudes in the league who will be salivating. Yeah. Oh, you're going to pull that guy out? Oh, coach, um, can I uh, – I don't want to come out about that tired. You know what I mean? Like, guys are going to try to get <laughs> excess to get that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I mean, guys are going to be looking to make reputations against him. I'm going for the sack record today. You know, I got Orlando Brown Jr. I mean, I'm not mean or anything, but this is it's vicious. The NFL's a vicious place. Once mm-hmm. they smell in the water, I mean, this is this is a deal with the coordinator's dream. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we're gonna go after him literally all day. All day. That's our game plan is built around exposing that kid. Mm-hmm. So and it's a shame. It's a shame because I really liked what I saw on tape. I thought his hand usage was good overall, the pass block, the run blocking, and his footwork was, was good enough, especially with his big frame. It's just if he would have been able to have even a halfway decent combine, I think he would have been in a good draft spot for him. But, uh, man, today's performance obviously mars that, and now we have to wonder, you know, whether he's, whether he's even going to be a significant option for a team next year. So, I mean, it's just kind of a shame. If he had a poor combine, like a normal poor combine, like, you know, not good, but, you know, not yeah. historically awful, he'd still be a guy we were talking about at the back half of the second into somewhere middle to late third. Yep. But this, I mean, the word red flag isn't strong enough. I don't know what term you would be <laughs> Flaming, uh, blazing, uh, bleeding. I mean, I don't know what particularly strong strong term. <laughs> because, like I said, the thing that terrifies you is that it's, it's beyond just not being a good athlete, which we, we sort of suspect you wasn't going to super well. It is, you can't help but be very concerned about how conditioned he was not. Even mm. if you're pays no attention to all these terrifying testing numbers, even in the on-field drills, you saw him get tired quickly and lose the ability to stay low in his stance. I mean, I don't know if I've seen a – I made a little bit of a joke, but I said Bernie Kozar is finally off the hook as the worst, you know, non-specialist athlete ever beat us at the combine. But but I think it kind of is true. He might be literally the least athletic person in the history of the combine. <laughs> I mean, Perkshock Womack is somewhere popping a bottle of champagne. <laughs> oh my goodness uh, but uh, I mean the rest of the class was good I think Tom Williams uh, helped his stock out a lot because after the injury there was concern over his athleticism going forward um, 
think after today's performance, I think we can solidify him as he's a for sure a tackle. Um, we'll see if he goes round one, even because the injury concern is still going to be there. Um, Colton Miller, again, we, I think we expected him to test out well. Um, so I think we're going to see, if I had to bet right now, I would say we, we see four, three or four um, offensive tackles go day one, which is a little better than we had last year where we had uh, Garrett Bowles and uh, Ryan Ramshake with our last pick. But uh, I like this class a lot more than we had last year. And then the interior offensive linemen are eons better. I mean, Quentin Nelson, I think, is a top 15 lock. Will Hernandez and Isaiah Wynn will both be top 50 picks along with uh, James Daniels and Billy Price. So, uh, the athleticism, they're all, they're all athleticism, or they're all athletic, they're smooth, they're good, I think, uh, really good potential pass blockers, which is, uh, I think, good for the NFL. I think if we give our quarterbacks one more time, that's good for the game. So um, I'm really excited what this interior class can do, and then uh, I think the whole is just way better than we had, what we had last year. Yeah, the interior offensive line class is one of the best I've seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Tackles, I'm not quite as high on for a couple of reasons. Even the ones who tested well in some areas had at least one or two red-ish, orange-ish, something. Like even O'Neal, mm-hmm. his lower body explosion numbers not not good. A little frightening. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So, once again, you have to wonder, you know, was he not getting in there and killing it on leg day, or is he just a guy who's got naturally a weakish lower body, or, or, or at least not a lot of fast twitch in his blood. He's got a fair amount of fast twitch, but it's on move. So you have to need that needed strength, right? If you, you know, yeah. So that's what concerns you, because I'm not trying to curse him or anything, but go back and look at the testing numbers of one, you know, Matt Khalil, and you'll mm. get excited about some of that stuff, and you realize, oh, wow, 23 and a half or whatever it was he did in the bird, and not a very good long jump. I mean, those things worry you because you've seen these guys that people get excited about and draft early overlooking certain certain holes in their game. Uh, right. But, but you you know, hey, you turn to your safety conditioning coach and say, can you fix this kid? And, I mean, if they're going to say yes because that's what coaches say. But, uh, but if you believe him when he says it, then you go ahead, and I guess you go ahead and run that card up there. Uh, yeah. That's one thing I worry about is that every single one of the tackles, there's something that concerns you. Okay, I like this, yep. oh, but there's that. That's the only mm-hmm. thing that's always a plus about every single yeah. one of the, the tackles. Yep. Yeah, and I don't think there's any top ten picks in this class. Uh, obviously, we didn't have any. I think we had 20, Garrett Bowles, I think, went 20th. We didn't even have any uh, top half picks last year. Uh, which normally you're going to see one or two tackles go in the top ten. So, yeah, I get that there's not that elite guy that you can say, yep, he's going to be for sure NFL starter year one even. Um, but I, I will say I do like Mike McGlinchey. Obviously, I think he's a three-year captain in Notre Dame, so the character is there. I, I like his quickness, his strength, his technique and footwork are really good to me, and then the, the six seven or six eight frame, whatever it is. Um, I, I, I like what we have there. I will say, though, I don't know if he's for sure even a left tackle at, at the NFL level. So that'll be – I. I, that's the thing that worries me about almost every single other tackle who's passed. It's like, the, even the ones I like are, look more like right tackles than left tackles. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't get, I, I get it, you don't get Walter Jones, you don't get Orlando Pace, you don't get Jonathan Ogden in every class. Uh, you're right. Thomas right. um, is always there. However, when you think about Dwayne Brown even, right, who wasn't mm-hmm. even a first year, but he was really, really good right out of the box, mm-hmm. uh, I, not even that guy is in this class. No. Tyron Smith clearly isn't in this class. So 
So when you're saying can we can we can we get by on the left side with this kid? Because McGlinchey is another guy that if you look at his best snaps, his best yep. twenty snaps or whatever, you're, you're convinced, oh man, this guy's going to be a great left tackle. But you look at his worst twenty snaps, and you're like, oh. So I would say this: he's a guy that at least early in his career, I'd probably have on the right side, and. If he proves to me, you know, as some guys do, that he can handle it and maybe he's the backup at left tackle while he's starting at right tackle and we have an older left tackle and he, you know, shows me things and makes you believe, then maybe when that guy gets cut or traded or whatever, maybe we flop him over to the left to see what happens. And through OTAs and, you know, mini camps and everything, we take a look at how monitor the situation from hand holding up at, at left tackle. But there are some guys who I think some of them are guys who we're not even talking about it because they aren't at the combine, but there will be some guys that will look back on and say, oh, well, that guy was better than the guy we were talking about. I think a guy that, that might emerge, uh, a kid like Goldich might emerge. Uh, Crabtree's a guy I like better on the right side, but in in this particular class, he might end up on, on the left. We'll see. There's Here's what I will say. If you're looking for a right tackle, which isn't the thing that people usually have at the top of their, their shopping list, but right. if for some reason you're set at left tackle, if you still have a problem at right tackle, this is well, not a it's a pretty decent class review if you're shopping for right tackle. <laughs> yeah. So that's the one thing I'll say about it. But yes, now if you're shopping for guards, oh, you know, wow. the birds are singing, the sun is shining, the food tastes better. I mean, this is this is, if you can't find a guard or a center in this class, you're doing it wrong. You're just yeah. doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like what we have here. Um, James Daniels, I mean, he was so fluid out there, really showing up at that And I think he has enough strength where, you know, a lot of these guys that are really good athletes, you wonder if they can handle the physicality of the NFL. I think Daniels can. The forward is really good with him. I just want to see him a little bit better technique-wise. Billy Price obviously suffered that, uh, he, what he said was a minor, I think it was pectoral injury last night, uh, but I think he'll be fine, and he's a really solid prospect all the way around. And then obviously those guards, I mean, Quentin Nelson, I mean, is he the, you know, top five, maybe one of the, uh, maybe in the discussion for the best interior offensive lineman you've seen? I like what you, I'd like to hear what you say about that. And then I love Isaiah Wynn. I'm in love with him. Uh, his quickness as for a guard position is tremendous. His technique as well. I think his uh, future as a pass protector is really, really bright. Sure. Well, he's a tremendous prospect. And he, I think he might be better than Zach Martin, which is saying a great deal. Yeah. Uh, he's better than Ben Grubbs. He's not quite Larry Allen, but then who is? Um, yeah, he's, he's a really good prospect. He's one of the top three or four guard prospects I've seen in Forty plus years, so that that's mm-hmm. a tough thing. That he's on a short list of. I will be absolutely shocked if he isn't a guy that goes to six or seven Pro Bowl. Yeah, I'll be shocked. Shocked. Mm-hmm. I mean, not surprised. Shocked if he doesn't do that. If he's not an All Pro three or four times, I'll be very, very surprised. <laughs> that I could see. I'm not going to predict he's going to make the Hall of Fame, but he should be a finalist based on what I've seen. I'll say that much. I'll be very surprised. I mean, is he John Hanna? Eh, maybe not quite. Is he Larry Larry Allen? Eh, not quite. But is he great? Yes. I mean, he's a great, great prospect. 
thanks to my father, who, you know, was a huge Colts fan, I've seen guys like, you know, Jim Parker, who maybe was the greatest guard of all time, or only one of them. Uh, Larry Allen, got to see him with my own two eyes. You know, this basically a superhero. I mean, there's no way to describe it. We could bitch for seven or eight pounds. If you could, that's basically someone who should have, like, a cape and a mask and should fight crime in their spare time. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's a, he's, he's on a short list. I mean, he, he's certainly one of the top four or five. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of football players. So mm-hmm. I'll, I just, like I said, I, if someone said, who's the player you would stake your reputation on, you know, the one that you had to give your personal seal of approval, he's the one. I think yeah. he's the most complete prospect in the whole draft, quite frankly. And I'm not going to say he's perfect, but he's, no. close, he's closer than anyone else. You know, the, the highest score I've ever given a prospect was a 99 that I gave to John Elway. Okay, that worked out. I've, I've only given out a handful of, of 97s or 98s. Orlando mm-hmm. Pace was a 97. Uh, Wolf Jones was a 96. Uh, Ogden was a 95. Von Miller was a 96. Uh, so I think he's probably about a 96, you know. I mean, okay. I, you know, which is a guy that I think has a good shot at making the Hall of Fame. When a guy gets a 96, yeah. when a guy gets a 99, he should be a first ballot Hall of Fame. Like, that's what you're saying. Would you mm-hmm. give Taylor or somebody that a 99, you give Owen, like, that's, those are guys that you are basically betting, you know, the church's money. Will what they be in the Hall? Sure. And guys that are, at least in the mid to upper 90s, are guys that you think have a better than 50% chance of being Hall of Famers. And then once you get into the low 90s, these are guys that maybe borderline Hall of Fame, you know, guys that should go to at least three Pro Bowls, very good players, guys who, you know, make it to a third contract, 10, 10 12-year careers, really solid. Mm-hmm. And when you get into the 80s, you're talking about solid starters, you know, from, you know, a guy who's 80 is an, an average to above average NFL starter. Yeah, it's above average, still above average. 80 is an above average NFL starter, and 85 is a guy that's going to go to at least one one Pro Bowl. Uh, you get into the 70s, you know, guys that maybe are, are valuable reserves or could be starters. You get into the 60s, some of guys who are, once again, sort of bubble guys, be on a team for six, seven years, may or may not start. You get into the 50s, those are guys who are fighting for a roster spot, but you think they'll hang around for a while. You get into the 40s, the guys who probably won't make it. And then, you know, 30 on down are guys who are, you know, camp bodies, might be better off going to the CFL arena, things like that. And then, you know, that are guys that you probably should stop watching the tape. (laughs) Okay, so besides Nelson, I would like to ask you, where do you have uh, Barkley on that? uh, What do you like, a 92, 93? Barkley's a 94. And if he were – and if he were – See, this is where he, he scares me a little bit because mm-hmm. the things he chose not to do at the combine, like yeah. he's gone out and had even just a solid uh, three cone, which he probably would have, I feel like. But yeah, yeah, and of course, I think he would crush the lung. Like it just it was just an odd group of things not to do. So right. now this little thing, like, does he think he's going to run a bad three cone? Like, now it makes he sends you back, you know. 
Now, once again, I'm probably over, you know, overthinking it, but it just concerns me when a guy chooses not to do specific drills and is doing almost everything else, but he's not doing certain things. Like, well, what, what's up with that? But, um, um, and then the other thing, of course, is the, the, the trying to force it. I mean, he's a guy that sometimes tries to, tries to do too much. It's yeah. like watching a baseball player who, you know, passes up a nice solid single because he's trying to hit a, hit a home run. So yeah. I would like to believe that somebody could be coached out of it. Like, I think he's a, everything I've heard from people around the program and people who've talked to him and scouts have spoken with who've been to practices is that he's apparently an amazing young man who will do whatever yep. the he's called to do. So I think if wherever he lands, if somebody says, hey, we really need you to, hey, when it's just three yards, it's get three yards, I think he'll do it. So I, I'm operating on that assumption. Now, if for some reason he can't do that, you know, then, well, then he'll struggle because uh, you, you, can't, you can't take every run to the house. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way at the next level. Uh, that's my only real concern about him because some people said his vision is an issue. I don't think it's his vision. I've seen him find cutback lanes that are, you know, sometimes – 14 yards laterally across the field from him, you know, and, mm-hmm. it's, and anticipate them being there because they aren't there when he starts making his cut. And by the time he gets to them, they're there. So I don't think it's a vision issue. I think it's, it's a – you get addicted to making big plays if you're a guy that makes a lot of big plays, right? If you're right. – I mean, that's what got Reggie Bush to a certain extent. He I mean, all the highlight reel runs, he started thinking you can do that every time. He started thinking, well – if I can make that run, you know, if I can make, then maybe I can make all of these plays into it. Maybe every time I touch the ball, it's going to be a 70 yard touchdown. Uh, but it, it does not work that way. But I think that he'll get coached out of that. Um, in terms of this class, the guys who I think have a shot to be truly great in terms of like a, we'll talk about them 20, 30 years from now. Bark is on that list. Uh, Nelson's on that list. Derwin James is on that list. Uh, Minka? Oh. No. Other guys I'm high on, but I'm not quite that high on. Like, they're, they're uh-huh. low. There's a lot of low 90 guys in this class. Not too many sure. mid to. I mean, those guys, there's whole years that will go by with nobody scores above 94. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, with those scores above 94, it's kind of a, oh, wait, what? You know? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that means that your coaching staff and everyone who's basically ever come in town because he has great things to say about you. Like, I don't care if you're – like, Randy Moss could never be a 95 or 96, not because he's not talented enough, but because he has a significant bag. He's coming out. You know, as rare talented as Randy was, I had a 92 on him because, you know, the guy had three fairly significant reddish flags in his yeah. – So, you know, I, a true blue chipper has to have – Everything, including the characters. Mm-hmm. In and my yeah. yeah, some people say they don't take character into account. Well, NFL teams do. Like, why would I yeah. not? Why would I not? <laughs> you, know, you can't. You can't keep your job if you don't take. I mean, if you treat this the way that guys who do this for a living treat it, you have to take character into account because they sure as heck do. If you right. tell your your boss, "Hey, I love this kid," blah blah blah. Well, yeah, he got into a fight at a frat party. Oh, yeah, he got he got a couple of bad drug tests. Oh, yeah, and he did kind of rob a, a liquor store. But other than that, I mean, like, they will, that's it. That's your last day of coming into the office. You're done. Get your stuff. So, yes, I do look at that kind of thing. Um, and there are some guys 
with some, I mean, Tony Callaway being sort of the, the headliner sort of that, that right. group. There are a few guys that have some, some stuff, and they'll forgive it to a certain extent if you've got stuff. But if you've got a lot of stuff, you better you better be Randy Moss. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you better be truly special if you've got multiple repeated stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, there's not a bunch of guys like that in this class. It's a pretty, no. pretty cleanish group, yeah. you know. There's not a bunch of guys uh, with bad, bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Nixon last year, who had some, some stuff, obviously. Oh, yeah. But but this year, you know, there's there's Callaway and, and a couple of guys with some more minor things on their resume. Holy uh, hell. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, bring up to that last point. And Randy, oh, you were talking about Randy. He um, obviously was unbelievable talent, but he even dropped to number, I think it was 21 the Vikings took him at, or right around there. So, I mean, you have to be, if you're going to have off the field issues like that, uh, you're not going to go first round unless you're Randy Moss. And he, you know, like we said, he didn't even go top 10. So, NFL teams obviously do look at that. And it's, bottom line, it's their team that they're representing, and owners care a lot about it. So, it's something that I look at as well. I think it's important to look at. The one thing we, we don't know is we don't know how well these guys interview. That obviously doesn't uh, always get told. Uh, we don't always know their Wonderlic stores, the scores, stuff like that. But uh, we, you can make, uh, from news and whatnot, you can get a pretty good sense of their character. Well, there's two things that, that I do, and I'm, I'm not afraid to pick up the phone. I'm, I'm old school. If I want to know mm-hmm. something, I'll just say, well, let's be, will they talk to me all the time? Sometimes, no. But, sure. but I've had... I've had good luck with strength and conditioning. Uh, if you're looking for someone who's more likely to probably be honest than a position coach or a head coach, try to get a hold of not even the head strength and conditioning person. It's usually the, like an assistant sure. who's maybe a bit younger, maybe hasn't been as jaded, maybe not as many people have talked to them, mm-hmm. especially if you go to a pro day. Who, if you're, you know, you're walking around, you're trying to find people to talk to, look for a dude who you know, looks kind of jacked, but is about 26. And, uh, <laughs> right, I mean, I'm just telling you, I mean, if you don't actually know who this, the number two thing missing person is at a particular right. institution, here's how to find him. You know, mm-hmm. hey, he's, whoa, he's wearing Under Armour, he's about 26, it looks like he may have been playing this a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and he's helping the guys get stretched out and warmed up. That's probably the good guy to talk to. Because yeah. um, people don't talk to the number two or number, you know, the, the assistant missing guy that much. But they're a font of information, and because they aren't the guy, they're not quite as guarded with their commentaries. Especially if you if you if you're off the record, it's like, hey, sure. I just want to, I'm not you know you know I'm not, I'm not working with the New York Times. I just want to know something about this kid because I'm trying to evaluate. Mm-hmm. And once again, even then, sometimes they'll shut you down. But I've discovered that's usually the person who's likely to to be the most likely to share information with you that's really helpful. So, yes, I've had good experiences. It's funny, um, Kenny Britt is a good example. So when I was at Rutgers Pro Day, I was talking to their number two strength conditioning guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny because their head strength conditioning guy was this giant of a man, like 6'6", 7". And his assistant, his number two, was like 5'5", but very, very muscular. So it was like almost like a comic routine where they'd come into the room like this giant and then almost like, you know, his... The joke is, well, I used to make in my own head was like, oh, it's bring your son to, to work there. But, yeah. um, 
but he was extremely helpful. Um, he he was very honest about Kenny Britt's frustrations with the quarterback situation at Rutgers, and mm-hmm. that was part of why he decided to declare early. And you know, he just he was very honest. He told me a lot yeah. of things about Britt uh, that helped me to evaluate Kenny Britt. I think more accurately than some people did. But things that I look for, sort of going by position by position, getting back to running back. Yes, you look, you do look for guys that are athletic. You do, but but you have to have vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have toughness, right? I mean, it, people are going even in the kinder, gentler NFL. You're going to get hit, <laughs> yep. and but can this person one deal with hits, and two, can they avoid things with the kill shot? Uh, all the great ones have figured out a way not to get just blasted. They, the Marshall Fox, the, the Barry Sanders, the, the O.J. Simpsons, the, whoever you mentioned, all the great ones at some point figured out, because Eddie George was a really good running back, but he took wicked shots, just, oh, my, oh, sweet Jesus, hits. And uh, Christian Okoye was another guy, tremendously athletic, but, man, did he take some licks. He gave them. I mean, he gave as good as he got, but he got hit hard. And he mm-hmm. also, he was a 28-year-old rookie. He came into the league older than, than most because he was a guy who wasn't even, he never played football before. He came here on a you know, track and field scholarship and accidentally ended up playing football. It took him two years wow. to sort of figure out, you know, even how to play, like what the heck are we doing, and like the rules. Like, you think about it, it's like a five-year-old who just happens to be, you know, incredibly fast and strong. But has really no idea what he's doing. That's kind of what Christian McClay was at first at uh, Zusa Pacific. And then, you know, once they sort of taught him football, you know, oh, my gosh, <laughs> did they have something there? <laughs> um, and he still never figured out all the finer points of, of, of the game. He was still always, even, at the, even as an effective NFL player, he was a guy that, you know, still little subtleties might have escaped him. He was never, once again, we saw a blitz pickup. That was always a struggle for him, just because he came to playing the game so late in his life. But, but yes, that's a guy that, once again, because of his age and because of his extremely rudimentary running style, took some just, I mean, people still talk about the Steve. I saw Steve Outwater recently at uh, mm-hmm. East West Shrine, and, you know, everyone brings that hit up to Atwater because everyone had been terrified of, of Okoye for the first few years of his career, just running through people. And then when that water came up and just stoned him, bam, you know, that changed everything. It was like when Tyson, you know, got taken out by Buster Douglas. Now other fighters who had been previously afraid of Tyson were like, yeah, I'll fight Mike Tyson. So sort of like that, this, you know, the, 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 the sense of being impregnable had been taken away from Christian Okoye yeah. that, that, that Monday night uh, game in Denver. But the... The thing that I also look for at running back, I, I look, obviously elusiveness. You know, can you, yep. can you get hit? You know, can you make people miss? Uh, but, yes, do you have the toughness to get the hard yards? Can you catch the football? Can you, even if you aren't amazing at it, are you at least not a liability in terms of blitz protection? And I think something that isn't discussed enough sometimes is uh, are you smart about, when to fight, you know, to the last breath. And do you know when, hey, the journey is done and let me not, you know, take extra punishment? I'm old enough to remember when people savaged. uh, In the last half of his career, Franco Harris 
would, if he saw that there was just nothing more to be had, he would just, you know, not go down, but he would step out of bounds or kind of, you know, sort of give himself up almost. And this infuriated yeah. people in those days. You know, it's, it's not like nowadays where people, I, I think, are a little more appreciative of the punishment that NFL players take. Yeah. People, just, they were, they were, they called him a coward, and Jim Brown called him out. You know, I remember very famously, Jim wow. Brown said, I never, you know, well, yeah, Jim Brown never, ever. He was, you know, once again, if I had been old enough to have graded Jim Brown, he would have been a 99. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, if you saw, I mean, not, not to sound weird or anything, but if you saw what that guy looked like, never having picked up a weight. I mean, you have to understand, this is without modern weight training, without modern nutrition, what Jim Brown looked like. Think yeah. of what he was like now, right? <laughs> exactly. He'd be 249 pounds, running 448, and just destroying everything in his path. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yes, yes. Um, that's a guy who I wish I had. My father once again told me about watching him in college, and then obviously seeing him in the NFL. Uh, I, I, I missed that, but I saw a lot of his tape, both his college and his. I watched the Orange Bowl, uh, where the, clearly the other team was keying on him. Like they were tackling him. I mean, he didn't have the ball, which is more like the Syracuse did. They would fake the ball to Jim Brown a lot in that game, and the other team would just, you know, they've been told hit Jim Brown. No matter what, so mm-hmm. they were he was other guys free because the other team was so focused on him. There was a one I saw one play uh, against Pittsburgh, and I think in 1961, where nine guys hit Jim Brown, and he ran through all nine guys for a touchdown. Wow, I got to see that. He was something special. <laughs> <laughs> he was something special. Uh, but yeah, I mean, power is great, but if a guy can also just avoid taking shots. That's just as yeah. good, right? If you just, you know, so even guys who have power have to be judicious in using it, or you'll end up like oh, Eddie George, Christian Okoye, being done by about 29, 30, 31, just because you're, yeah, you're used up. Well, that's like Tiki Barber. His best year of his entire career was his last year in the league. Yep. I think he holds a record, in fact, for the best last year of a, of a career of of any any back in the history of the league. I don't think anyone's ever wow. been able to quite pull off what he pulled off in terms of uh in terms of the closeout of a career. because um, he went for over I think he had over fifteen hundred scrimmage yards and in fact it might have been over eighteen hundred scrimmage yards and I think something like fourteen hundred of it was rushing. So I think it's still the best, and over five yards to carry. So I think it's wow. still the best last year in the history of a running back in the history of the NFL. Uh, breaking, oddly enough, Jim Brown's record, who had a uh, really great last year of his career. But, but obviously those guys are the exception. And Brown was young. I mean, he was just 29 and change when he hung it up. Uh, but uh, Tiki was like 34 or something. Yeah. Uh, but he just one is he had changed his conditioning uh, about five or six years of his career. He started doing Olympic-style lifting with an, an old Bulgarian, I think, um, Olympic lifter who had come to the United States and had been coaching uh, weightlifters. He hadn't worked with a football player before, and I don't even know how Tiki found him or how they found each other, but he went from being a guy that just did sort of, quote-unquote, normal football lifting 
getting involved in a lot of clean and jerk and a lot of, you know, the classic Olympic style lifts and mm-hmm. doing the heavy and got a little bigger and a little stronger, well, not a little stronger, he got a little bigger but a lot stronger, and so he was better able to deal with the physical side of the game. So from 29 to the end of his career, he just gets better and better each year, which you don't see very often, as you just pointed out. That's normally how it ends. Uh, Normally it's, you know, even with the greatest of the great, Jim Brown once again being an exception, but he also retired young. Uh, Barry Sanders, also another sort of exception to the rule. He had a couple of pretty good years towards the end of his career. Because once again, he walked away early. Uh, but the most guys, you know, you, you can tell, as you said, the wheels come off the wagon a little bit. And it's not just the, 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 the quote-unquote pounding. It, it's a loss of athletic ability. Yep. The, you do have to be a really good athlete to play running back in the NFL. You don't have to be a freak necessarily. Uh, I mean, Emmitt Smith and others have shown you don't have to be a burner, but you do have to be quick. You know, if you if you don't have quickness, I don't care what else you have, unless you are, you know, watching in Christian Akoya, where you're just a human, you know, tank. But he was a really fast human tank. But those guys are – there's not many of those guys. There's not many people who could do, do it. But most guys, you need, you need to be able to avoid it. You need to be able to – when you do have to hand off you need to be able to do it. Exactly. Um, for offensive line, well, starting with tackles, I want tackles that – move like giant cornerbacks. I want guys who are incredibly light on their feet and flexible. Mm-hmm. And it helps if you're super strong, but if you're not Orlando Pace, if you're not a super strong, if you're not one of those guys who's freaking strong, it's great when you are, but you can get by with having average, and, and q is even below average strength, though you know, not way below average. You can't be actually flat out weak because, once again, People will figure out that you're weak, and they'll take advantage of it. But you do have to be, you know, I mean, like I said, the whole thing we talk about the nimble dancing bear, whatever term you want to use, that person who can redirect a lot of their mass, and you're a big person for letting them tackle. So you're, a, you're a big, giant dude. But if you can get all that dude going one direction, then suddenly, boom, be able to go back to the direction if somebody counters back to the inside. Or if it's a, you know, a loop situation where someone's kind of looping around, the guard, and now they're going to run into this crack between you and the guard, and you can suddenly come off what you're doing here and turn back inside and pick that person up. That's incredibly important. And yes, you've got to have some unpleasantness to you. You don't have to be, a, you know, dirty exactly, but you've got to have some 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 nasty. There's got to be some level of nasty there. I mean, even really nice people. One of the pace was a super nice guy. However, uh, he was more than willing to finish people if, if he had a chance to do it. He would drive dudes into the dirt. And the other thing I look for is intelligence. I mean, I think intelligence is important at literally every position. But the offensive line, there's a lot going on, especially in the way the NFL works nowadays. More and more things happening at the last scrimmage. You may have a call to play or plays in more cases than not, two or sometimes even three different plays called already. And there's the one that sort of play A and you decide whether to run it or not and then maybe it gets killed. So maybe it was a run play that was called, but the quarterback sees they're playing way off. He kills the run play. Now it's going to be a now screen to your side. So now you're not run blocking anymore. Now all of a sudden you're pass blocking. Right? So all these things change sometimes very quickly but it seems more and more going no huddle. So intelligence is something I, I, I really value. And yes, speed. 
people like to say, well, how often do you ever need a tackle to run 40 yards? Well, not very often. But if, for God's sakes, if I need someone to make a – I mean, if, imagine if there's a really fast tackle in that Super Bowl game where where the Arizona's playing the Steelers and that there's that game-changing interception. If James Arthur gets run down by – I mean, obviously you don't see – you want your tackles having to run fast, but if you need to – if somebody's got to make a play there and you have a tackle who just happens to be fast and runs him down, makes a play – you maybe you win that Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. speed is um, speed. Speed every place I can get it. So if, yes, I do value speed. Even long speed, which people say doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter until it matters, right? You don't need it until you need it. Uh, but if I could have long speed at every if my place kicker can run four or five, but he's a terrific place kicker, I'm going to take that because I want people to run. You never know when you might need it. You might need to run a fake. You might need someone to chase someone down. So. And of course, you get to even run, you know, run some, some, you know, tackle eligibles, right? I mean, there's, I've seen some tackles look like they knew what they were doing occasionally in those situations. Once again, extra value of your guy, Mr. O'Neill. He's uh, successfully run. I think it, I think he has two touchdowns in his collegiate career uh, on tackle eligibles. If memory serves me correctly. Yeah, I so, just yeah. heard of one of them. Yeah, he's very, very athletic in that way. Yes, Nate Solder was another guy that was that way. Um, had the good hands, and in fact, he was originally a tight end. Uh, Solder was one of those big tight ends that grew into being a tackle. Jason Peters is another one of the famous examples of the guy that you know was a big tight end who grew into being a tackle. So yes, I do like to see guys who can run, uh, even though it's a position where people say it doesn't matter. Hey, this is a game played by athletes. <laughs> And you never know when you might need someone to make an athletic play, even if it's not designed and not planned. I, I'll take the, I'll take a, I'll take a good athlete anytime I can get one. And then uh, for interior offensive linemen, once again, intellect pushes up even higher. Even more things happen, and they happen in a very compressed time and space. Once you get to the interior of the line, that's where you see a lot of tricks and games and blitzes done, twist, literally everything they can throw at you because, you know, what's the shortest distance between two, two points? A straight line. As cool as it is to have, you know, Von Miller and Garrett and Clowney and whoever else, if you want to make life really miserable for a quarterback, get pressure in his face. I mean, what, what's the things that made Tom Brady mortal in the games where he's been mortal? Interior pressure. Yep. Right? Justin yeah. Tuck laying on top of him 14 times at various, you know, even the ones that were sacked. At some point, he got tired of getting hit by Justin Tuck, right? I mean, there's there's, there's, there's value in getting interior pressure consistently, whether or not it results in a sack. Now, you would love to have the result of a sack, but if you can get consistent interior pressure, I don't care who that quarterback is, I don't care how great they are, they're going to be less great. <laughs> you keep getting... Interior pressure, snap after snap after snap. Your your greatness will will dim. And for tight ends, I still care about blocking. Uh, I know some people sort of decided not to care about blocking at the tight end position. If if I can not have to take you out in short yardage and goal line because you're a liability as a blocker, now you've given me more options in short yardage and goal line. If I have to take you out and put in a specialist. You know, now you've reduced one as you made me carry an extra player, but two, you've taken away some of my options as a play caller. So, 
even with the success of the Jimmy Grahams and, and some of the other sort of catch-the-ball-only tight ends, my preference is a guy who can at least represent himself as a blocker, you know, who isn't embarrassing himself as a blocker. And, I mean, the, the, the best tight end in the game right now is Gronkowski. He gives you both. Oh, yeah. Right? That's what I want. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I want Witten. I want that guy. I want, I want Kelsey. I want that guy that does both. You know, I, I I will accept if I can't get it, but my goal is to find a guy that is a terrific receiver, you know, can, is athletic enough that he can stretch the seam and threaten safeties, big and strong enough that he can overpower defensive backs, both in, you know, contested catch situations and running with the ball once he has it in his hand. But if you if you can't at least be sufficient as a blocker, once again, that's a a lot of people are excited about Mark Andrews. I can't get as excited because the the first time I see him really block somebody will be the first time I see him really block somebody. Yeah, I mean, I like his polish as a receiver. Um, like you said, and the thing is, he's not the biggest guy either, so I think the potential there is a little bit limited. Uh, I think with Dallas out there to South Dakota State, I think I like him as a blocker a little bit more, and then the size-wise, uh, his potential is good there. And same thing with Mike Gusecki. So I think we have a couple potentially good two-way players there. Um, they'll be interesting to see. What do you think about Hayden Hurst? Because he's not going to be a guy that's going to throw anyone into the dirt, um, but a really good athlete and receiver as well. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on him? Well, it's funny because I think about another former pro baseball player turned tight end, James Casey. I think he'll be a a piece, right, a guy that you know, I don't think will be – a true TE1 in the way that some people are thinking he might be. I sure. think he's going to be a, a good contributing player that you might use, particularly for a team that does use some two tight end sets. I think he'll be productive in that that situation and some other situations. But I don't see Jason Witten. I don't see Travis Kelsey. I don't see, well, I mean, obviously you don't see Gronkowski. Uh, that's, once again, a guy you may be another decade or two before you see someone like him. But you know, Tony Gonzalez or whatever. I mean, I'm seeing, to me, I'm seeing more like that James Casey. Um, um, he's not as athletic as Lanny Walker, even. Lanny Walker no. was rare. But, but, I mean, a guy who can give you some things. Yes, I mean, he's a guy that can be a match. He's a matchup problem. And that's mm-hmm. what people talk about. And that's the whole thing that people are, that's, whole offenses are built around matchups. So, there's a place for him in the league. I'm not quite as high on as, as some. But some people have him as their T1. I, I can't go there, uh, but I, I think he's going to be a successful pro. Yeah, absolutely. There's another guy, so we've, I've kind of been saving this question uh, before I have to sign off here, uh, but there's a guy, so you talked early in the show about how you value production, and then as do I take it into account. But this is a guy I'm really high on. I see him as a mid-first-round talent. Some people have him as the number one overall pick in their mocks. I think you knew who I'm talking about, but the production was not there, especially in his redshirt junior year. Threw for 1,800 yards. I uh, can't remember the number of touchdowns, but it wasn't a high number. Low completion percentage. And, uh, of course, I'm talking about Wyoming's Josh Allen. I'd love to see, I'd love to hear what you think about him. Um, had a measured out well at the combine. Uh, we'll see how he does in his, his throws and whatnot, but i uh, love to hear his thoughts on him. Well, here's my, my main concern. Mm-hmm. And people have tried to throw his teammates under the bus and things like that. His teammates aren't that 
I've looked. I mean, I don't know what people are looking at. That's that's he's not surrounded by zero talent. So uh, last year, I mean, I've been once again. I'm not new to Josh Allen. I've been watching him for a couple of years now. So last year, he put, he had both the Hollister brothers. Yep, fine hell. Rosters. He had right exactly. Um, so he had a running back, right? Who's I think the Falcons have, and yep. and Tanner Gentry, who I think foolishly the Bears have not done much with yet, but hopefully they'll sort of discover Tanner Gentry. But those are really good players. Those are every single one of them is a really good player, and he has struggled to be consistently active. Yeah. And he will again. You talk about the guy who you can. If you put together his top 25 once again, now you're going to have people, right, exactly. Oh, number one overall pick. Why are we talking still, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you look at his whole body of work, there's some scary tape out there. I mean, there's some games where he's just flat out not good. And I'm not saying he's Christian Hackenberg, but there's some games where he looks like Christian Hackenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, with all that arm talent, but why is he missing on – Gimme throws, gimme throws, wide receiver screens, little 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 flat routes. I mean, it worries you when the easy throws are the hard throws. Like that's a crazy <laughs> thing. I don't the the throw that where I'm going to get four free yards. I can't have you messing that one up. No, instead of being second and six, I'm second and ten. I think people get so mesmerized by the magical stuff he can do, which is cool and everything. But how many times per game in the NFL is he going to get to do that stuff? Mostly, you're trying to, to quote, Hank Sam, matriculate the ball down the field. You may get to make five or six wow throws per game. But can you give me those eight-yarders, those 12-yarders, those six-yarders, Consistently, because he never has in the past. No. The one thing with him that uh, you can look at and say that's a really encouraging sign is when he was at the Super Bowl or Senior Bowl, playing with you know talent as talented as he is, the numbers he put up were awesome. Um, I can't think of him off the top of my head for sure. I know he had touchdown, no interceptions. I think his yards per attempt was ten point nine or something, and his completion percentage is much higher than it was at Wyoming. So. Well, that's an that's an encouraging sign. He's also in a situation where they can't blitz, and they're sitting in the same coverage all the time. I mean, right. that's. <laughs> would you like to remember what E.J. Manuel did? Just, I mean, if you were to look at the history of senior bowl quarterback uh, performances, you're going to find some really good quarterbacks who had great performances, but also some guys whose names you won't even recognize. Yeah. You know, who killed it at the senior bowl? So. I, I don't put too much into that for several reasons. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you tweet it, all you can do on defense is either be in man or cover two. And you can't disguise coverages. You can't blitz. I know when I get to the last exactly what the defense is going to be doing on pretty much every play. You should tear it up. <laughs> you know, like that's, yeah. that should be expected. Hey, you know what else tore it up at that very same senior bowl? Kyle Aletta. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who has proven to be more consistently accurate. So I'm never going to overvalue 
any one game, especially not an all-star game, The uh, one counter-argument to your... No? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just saying I think he's a project, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, the one counter-argument that I will bring up is you look at Allen's... I think he was on the North team. Uh, his North teammates, um, Baker Mayfield and Tanner Lee, both struggled. Um, so I think that's an interesting thing to look at because the senior bowl, yeah, like it is, it's a pretty friendly game for Steph. But uh, what we saw to Mayfield, who obviously was dealing with some personal stuff to that combine... And Tanner Lee, you know, isn't a – I think he's going to be an undrafted guy. But uh, what we saw out of them was not good, and I think what we saw out of Allen was great. So um, I think I'm still going to be encouraged by that. But like you said, you shouldn't put too much weight into it. Obviously, the regular season tape is much more uh, valid. And then uh, what we saw in his bowl game performance was also what I was going to bring up with him uh, was very good. I think he threw three touchdowns all, all coming in the first half. So, yeah. Exactly. Even the bowl game sort of shows you that he's still Josh Allen. Where he looks, he wows you, and then yep. doesn't. So disappeared. Yep. So that's that's the story of his entire career. Mm-hmm. Is if you just want to pick out, you know, and turn into a gif or whatever, where some of the stuff he can do that very few people can do, right? I mean, that's that's exactly. the part that that is true. Like no one can deny mm-hmm. that he can do things that a short list of people who've ever played the game can do. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's exciting. That's cool. But consistency, if you don't have that, right, I mean, look at the career of Jay Cutler. Look at the career of lots of power-armed quarterbacks who excited people, amazed people, even with things that could mean, I don't want to go all the way to Jamarcus Russell, but Jamarcus Russell was another guy that killed it in workout. You're right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just killed it. You know, threw the ball 70 yards from his knees and all that cool stuff. However, if you went back and look at his face, there were some games in there that were scary, but not as many as Josh Allen has. Uh, he has more scary games than anybody I've ever heard talked about that high in the process in a long time. It is easier now to complete passes than it's ever been in the history of football. Uh-huh. It is now easier to complete passes in college football and pro football, actually, both, mm-hmm. than ever yep. before in this game. That's, there are guys now breaking 70% on a yearly basis. Yep. Never that. So when a guy is struggling to get into the upper 50s in the way the game is played now, there are several things that, that are going to concern And you mentioned, you know, the players he's playing with, but he's also playing against players that, for the most part, won't be playing on Sundays either. It's not like he's in the SEC with Mountain West players. He's in the Mountain West with Mountain West players. Right. Yeah, then uh, the, the one thing, the last thing I'll uh, kind of throw in here with the Cutler if he is going to be as talented as Cutler, I'm actually a little bit excited there. Because the thing with Cutler, uh, he never had a, a steady base of uh, coaches around him. I think he, what, he went, went through like six offensive coordinators in his, his time between Denver and Chicago. It's some obscenely high number. And we saw sometimes when he would have a, a great year, um, when he had good talent around him, and they also had Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall, they had Martellus Bennett, and that forte. They had a great 
set of pieces around him there in Chicago. And he had some seasons where he bloomed. They took him to the NFC Championship. Uh, obviously, lost to Green Bay that year, you know, 2011. Um, he was never able to have a consistent coaching staff. So I don't want Allen to go to a a, a team that's going to have some flip-flop with, like, with Cleveland. I want him to go to a steady team that has a consistent so- coaching staff that's going to be there for a long time and a coaching that can consistently groom him and be steady for him. But uh, what do you what do you think? What's an ideal landing spot for you with Allen? The Vikings. Yeah, that'd be. I mean, I would love. I'm a Viking fan. I would love that. I don't think he'll be available at 30, but um, maybe a trade up is in the works. We'll see. Um, I mean, the, the advantage he has there is that I mean, the Vikings have other options at quarterback. Yep. They don't push him out there. They have a coaching staff that really has a smart philosophy about how they make use of their talent, and they're patient in a way that Very a, a bad team can't afford to be, quite frankly. If no. you take quarterback in the first and your team is bad, around the time you get to the bye week, people are like, hey, did we draft a first-round quarterback? You know, so no matter ready or not, that guy's going to be you know, pushed out there. Exactly. And there's a lot of work to be done on Josh Allen to get him ready to be a successful NFL quarterback. I don't think he'll ever be great, just because people don't become that much more accurate or really don't become more accurate. That's the issue you always have. You go back through, once again, 60 years of data trying to find a guy who got more accurate, you know, mm-hmm. going to college to the NFL. You can't find that guy. You can find guys who at least managed to survive the transition, even as they weren't super accurate. So the two sort of success-ish stories, well, one is truly successful. One guy's an Hall of Fame. The other guy, at least, was a, a fairly successful NFL starter. The two guys you can point to are Brett Favre and Jake DeLone. That's, sure. two in, that's two in 60 years, Brad. Mm-hmm. What about, um, I'm pulling up here, Stafford. I know he threw like 58% completion percentage. Uh, at Georgia, and obviously he's been a franchise quarterback. Yeah, his career is 62%. So, yeah, that's an incremental, that's only a 4% difference. But I think 62%, you're looking at, with his arm talent, uh, obviously the way he runs that Detroit offense is very good. Uh, if he can be, if Josh Allen can be Matthew Stafford, I have no problem taking him with a top 10 pick. Uh, some people will say, I don't know if everyone would agree with that, but I think Matthew Stafford is a legitimate franchise quarterback. But like you said, accuracy just it just it does rarely improve. But I think Josh Allen is a rare talent, so I think he'll be the most polarizing. Him, Lamar Jackson, will be the most polarizing prospects come draft day, and they'll be the most fun to follow through their NFL careers. So, yeah, well, the two will be tied together. Yep. In a way, because these are the two outliers. Mm-hmm. And once again, just we're going back to Stafford. Stafford was still playing in an era where the average completion percentage was not as high as it is now. Like, it has never been as easy as it is right now to complete ball. Mm. So the rule changes have all, almost all, pretty much, been favoring the the offense. You know, the targeting rule didn't exist back in, surprising back in that Stafford's day, because it was not long ago, but there was a targeting rule. There were things that were different enough that completion percentage Every 10 years or so, when you just look at the, the class of quarterbacks, you notice that, oh, well, 53.5% is getting it done between 1958 and 1968. Mm-hmm. That would get done, because most guys were around, the average quarterback was like 47-something percent in 19, between 1958 and 1968. Wow. It was a 
you don't understand how different the game was, apparently. <laughs> it was so much harder to complete passes. Mm-hmm. Remember, there was never more than two wide receivers on the field in those days. Right. You know, the receiver was a backup, um, you know, a punt returner, right? They rarely saw the field. Your tight end was an extra tackle, right? I mean, yeah. you know, the hand, it, was, it wasn't until really Pete Redslaff invented being a receiving tight end, and then shortly thereafter you had Dick uh, and Mackey and that bunch. But prior to that, the tight end was almost literally an extra tackle. He was like a permanently tack, a permanently eligible tackle. Right. And the, the kind of passes that people were throwing, the idea of using your passing game to replace your running game, which people now throw the ball on third and one, so that's another reason completion rate has gone so much higher, is that people make so many more short passes. Yeah. People threw the ball under 10 yards virtually never <laughs> in the old days. And then, you know, by by the 70s, at least you had a little bit of what they used to call ball control passing. And then eventually you got the West Coast offense about where you had an offense that was built around the oblique stretch, you know, the triangle stretch or whatever, and then picking the soft spot and getting the ball in there. You went at 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 yards most of the time with the occasional deep shot off play action when people were, you know, trying to take away the short stuff. So when you look at the numbers that guys like Namath were putting up in college, you're like, what the hell? But you have to remember it's such a different era in terms of the passing game. These guys were all wing key quarterbacks, United and Namath and well Lenny Dawson was actually not. because uh, Purdue, Tulsa, Purdue, Stanford and a school you probably never heard of called St. Mary's, were amongst the few schools that had some spread-ishness to them. They would have three receivers on the field a lot. SMU, um, when they got Don Meredith, their coach Don Meeks. Uh, coach Meeks was one of the first guys in the state of Texas, along with you know uh, SMU also, even going back to the Sammy Baugh and Davey O'Brien days, so sometimes there were three or four receivers on the field. That was pretty much unheard of most of the time. So you saw the evolution of passing, where it was really a moving proposition. When guys, in the old days, when a guy threw the ball more than a certain number of times, it almost always meant their team lost. When a guy threw the ball more than 25 times in 1950, his team lost. You know, I mean, that was pretty much how it worked. You were trying to come back. If you were winning, you you wouldn't need to throw the ball that much. Right. So by the time you get Hank Stram... Coach Meeks down in, in SMU and, uh, you know, Tulsa coming onto the scene and, you know, some of these uh, Homer Jones emerging and some of these other sort of what we would call passing gurus by, you know, the standards, by the terms we use nowadays, start to emerge in the 50s and into the 60s. You're first beginning to see guys get to the 50% and over the 50% mark in terms of completion percentage. It was a rare thing prior to the mid-1950s to see a guy over 50%. The guys who were over 50% are Hall of Famers. If you look at those that era, like Sammy Baugh, like Sid Lutzman. The guys who were over 50% back in the, in the 40s and 30s are all Hall of Famers. Uh, Davey O'Brien. Those guys are all Hall of Famers. The over 50% club in the 30s and 40s are Hall of Fame guys. It was that hard to complete passes. 
by the time you get to the 70s, it's at least middle 50s, you know, 57, 56, 55, 58 is sort of the ideal number. But now, because, it's, you know, every 10 years, you have to sort of look at that, that next little slice. Guys are routinely over 60%, and some guys are at 71, 72% nowadays. Yeah. So you have to recalibrate, you know, per era. So 58%, even 12, 13 years ago, was pretty decent. Now, not so much. Yeah, I think you make some good points, uh, Stafford. I just, with the Stafford comparison, yeah, yeah, another point I was just trying to make was just they both have that just rocket arm and then just were a little bit erratic in their early years. Um, I don't, I, you just, yeah, I, I can see your point that Stafford's at 58% was just a little bit more respectable. Um, wasn't necessarily even, his accuracy wasn't even that much of a concern as it is a balance. Um, the other thing with Stafford is that he could make some erratic decisions early in his career. That's the same thing I think we're going to see Allen make. Um, obviously, Stafford's grown out of that a little bit. Uh, there's lots in the interceptions, but we'll see if Allen can ever make that step. Um, so what, do you, what do you think? Do you think decision-making, you know, how often does that improve as, as they go through their NFL careers? Well, even with Favre, right? Hmm? What do we remember about Favre? The highs and the lows. Yeah, Hall of Famer, though. So, once again, he was a guy who was right at the low end of success, right? If you look at his career completion percentage and touchdown interception ratio, he's, he's a guy whose, whose numbers said this guy should be a starter, but, right? I mean, it was like his, his, he's one of the outliers because his numbers tell you starter, but probably not going to be great. Right. So we came with that. Now, partially because, I mean, he's about surrounded by talent. Look at where, when he, when he gets traded, he goes to, I mean, it's the who's who of offensive coaching. Look at that in Green Bay. Gruden, Mariucci, Andy Reid, and at the top of the food chain, he's out on grip. I mean, if you can't get coached up by that group, you can't do it. Like, that's it. <laughs> there's no better. You, you, there's not a better, except baby Bill Walsh. You have nobody else you can go to who could do what those guys could do. And these guys basically were Bill Walsh. I mean, they're all produced in some, to some extent by Bill Walsh. But he goes through the ideal situation. One, they're super patient, super patient. Because he, he, he threw them into some games, he threw them out of some games. You know, he had some three, four, five interception games, even well into his career. He was always the guy that always thought he could get it, no matter what. Well, my mm-hmm. feet aren't set. I'm throwing back across my body, 40 yards, but I can get it in there. Now, the truth is he could do that sometimes. That's like a 20% proposition. You don't. You want a guy to not try the 20% thing. Like the thing that you probably maybe can do, but, you know, let's not do it. So you want to see Josh Allen grow in that area. That's the area where I think he has the best opportunity to grow. I don't know if he can ever become much more accurate than he is. However, if he can become at least a better decision maker, he can at least be a long-term starter in the NFL. That's the thing that I, that I think is still an open question. Can he improve his decision making enough to be at least a long-term starter? Or he's going to be one of those cautionary tales about, like Dan McGuire or the other super strong arm quarterbacks that didn't make it. Yeah, 
I think, like I said, he's just going to be uh, kind of an interesting case study, at least for me, because uh, he's kind of the first guy. I mean, Paxton Lynch, a little bit the same, but he wasn't – I don't think he was – there's a reason he went like like 26 to Denver. So he's just not the same talent as Allen in. Uh, and yeah. Allen's just such a mobile quarterback, too, and his size is just what I think he measured at 6'4", 7'8", big hands and whatnot. So I'm yeah, really he's excited to see what he does. Yeah, and that, that's what some people sort of joke about the tight end thing because he's a good athlete. And he's got a big frame. He could easily weigh two hundred sixty something if he wanted to. Mhm. Yeah. So I, I just I'm really excited to see what he can do. Um, now, the thing with the other quarterbacks is he. I think he just has the highest upside. I, I don't know if you'll agree, just because you don't you don't know if his accuracy will improve. Rosen is just obviously I think the best pure passer in the class, a franchise guy. Sam Darnold, I have his early first-round talent. Uh, there's some things for him to improve. I think he's really solid. Allen, and, and then there's Mayfield and Jackson and Rudolph. But I just I think Allen, if you're looking at past, you know, back 10 years, you know, in 2028 when we're looking back at this class, I'm not surprised at all if Allen turns out to be the best guy. I'm not surprised if he turns out to be the worst to get that group of six either. But um, yeah. to me, if you're... He's the most volatile um, in terms mm-hmm. of be really sort of a stock. He's the one that, yeah, has maybe the best chance to give you a, you know, rate of return that might be exceptional. He's also the one that has the best chance of literally going belly up you lose everything. Right. So, if I'm a franchise that can afford that kind of risk, which is why I brought up the Vikings, they can afford to roll the dice. Yep. If you're the Browns, you can't afford to roll the dice. <laughs> you know, there are teams that can't afford that risk. Mm. So, it comes down to risk. Even the Buffalo Bills, even the Buffalo Bills, if they move on from Tyrod Taylor, who's maybe not a world beater exactly, but has been a proficient NFL quarterback that's kept them competitive for the past couple of years, and they go to somebody who, you know, leads the league in interceptions two years in a row, everyone gets fired. You know what I mean? So... You have to be in a situation where you can absorb the risk of a guy like Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. And Rosen is a guy I like a great deal. I like Darnold's potential. I don't like his decision-making. Some of the same issues we brought up with with Allen, but without quite the same level of arm strength to bail him out. So I would like to – I wanted to see Darnold actually – he had talked about going back to school, and I was hoping he actually would have done it because I think he could have been QB1 next year. But he reversed – his decision, decided to come out, and I think he's another guy that, like I said, struggles with making the right decision at the right time. I would like to see him be more smart, more judicious. Rosen is a guy that I think maybe second only to Mayfield of being the most polished and ready to go right out of the box. I don't think he has a lot to do. I think he could end up being a Matt Ryan type quickly. Mayfield's another guy that people have very strong opinions about. Either they love him or they hate him. I'm not quite as low on him as apparently you are, but I'm not quite as high on some of the people that think he's going to be a superstar. I don't think he's going to be a superstar, but he's going to be a solid NFL starter. And if he goes to the right team, you know, you can win a Super Bowl with that. We just saw you don't need a superstar quarterback to win the Super Bowl. No. So... I mean, things about each one of these guys breaking them down, sort of guy by guy. We already talked about Alan Rosen, uh, cerebral, understands the nuances of the game at an extremely high level. 
uh, one of the best minds for the game I've seen since Kellen Moore. Now, Kellen Moore, of course, he just didn't have the body. You know, he just didn't have the physical wherewithal to become a great NFL quarterback. But from the from between the years, Kellen Moore had everything. They still talk about when he came, he only took one recruiting visit. He only had one other scholarship offer. The other offer was Eastern Washington. Mm-hmm. And when he came on his recruiting visit to Boise, he was asking questions about the offense, but not like what you guys do. He was saying, hey, I noticed you guys do such and such. Like he was talking about the offense in detail, the call, mm-hmm. how they think. Well, and someone said, well, wait, how do you know all that? He said, oh, well, I found one of your playbooks online. I've been studying it. So he showed up knowing the off on his recruiting visit, already knowing the offense. That's who Kevin yeah. Moore is. That's and, awesome. Oh, he's an amazing. He's going to be a really successful quarterback coach and eventually a really successful offensive coordinator and possibly a head coach one day. You heard it here first. But um, Rosen is a guy that I don't know where these sort of weird things about him being too California or too whatever. He is an intelligent, informed person. But, hey, Aaron Rodgers is also a guy with strong opinions who's from California, if that matters, Um, who's very intelligent and very informed. But – he is a strong personality, which quarterbacks tend to be, and he's unapologetically intelligent. Mm-hmm. Now, we want quarterbacks to be intelligent, but some people, guess, you know, especially the old sort of troglodyte faction, don't want you to be too smart. So there were some concerns about him having too many other interests, too far. It's just silliness. Uh, my concern is the concussion. That's where my concern is. He's had several concussions, some of them somewhat severe. So the medical is the biggest deal for him. If there are no signs of any residual brain injury, he's a guy I would take. See, I'm not as high on any of the quarterbacks as some people are. I don't have an early first-round grade on any of these quarterbacks. I think even the ones I like the most are guys who who I would prefer to see in the latter half of the first round, quite frankly. But I think... After Mayfield and Rosen, there's a bit of a, a drop-off, a gap. Then Darnold. And then I have guys I like that other people don't like. Uh, <laughs> I think Logan Woodside is one of the better quarterbacks in the class. People just don't talk about him for, I don't know, whatever reason. Um, I'm a huge fan of Kyle Oletta. I think he's grown as much in the past two years as any and maybe more than any other quarterback. You know, a two-star from Downingtown, Pennsylvania, had very few offers, uh, a guy that worked really hard to develop himself both mentally and physically and was the most consistently impressive quarterback at the senior bowl. But because he's not a big name, people tend to just sort of downplay it. You know, so that was interesting, but whatever. Um, but he's a guy that I think is going to be a successful NFL starter. Worst-case scenario, a really high-level <laughs> And we see how important having a high-quality backup can be. But I like him a great deal. Um, I think Mike White is going to be a high-quality backup to spot starter. I think he's going to hang around the league for eight, ten years. Uh, let's see. Lamar Jackson is the other fascinating case study. He's another guy whose completion percentage numbers frighten you. Uh, his touch-to-interception ratio is m- superior to, to Allen's, despite the fact that his supporting cast has actually been worse 
than Allen's. If you go by, if drop numbers matter, he's had he's suffered from more drops from his scoring cast than Allen's suffered from him. But he is the guy who does sometimes have a tendency to lose his mechanics at times. His mechanics are solid. He's extremely accurate. But there's sometimes when he gets a little rushed. Uh, I think sometimes he sees something, gets super excited. Also, his offensive line has done him no favors. So sometimes he's rushed because he's being rushed, you know. And so the mechanics fall apart a little bit. He doesn't step in or he doesn't have any weight transfer or not enough weight transfer and ends up under-throwing some balls or having balls sail on him. But if you can, one, you know, get him into a situation where he has better surrounding talent, talk about somebody, you know, not being bailed, not being helped by their teammates, that might be the guy with the biggest argument in the class. It's not Josh Allen. It's probably Lamar Jackson. His surrounding talent. And Rosen close. I mean, Rosen might be the number two guy in terms of uh, not being helped by his surrounding uh, talents as well. Despite the fact that UCLA gets credit for having good recruiting classes, I haven't seen it um, in the actual on-field play. The UCLA has not impressed me other than Josh Rosen for the most part. Uh, and their defense has a couple players that I like, but their offensive skill guys have been underwhelming the past couple of years in my book. But uh, I think the, the situation with both Allen and Lamar Jackson being brought along somewhat slowly, these are guys that may not see a single snap the first year they have in the league, and perhaps not even the second year. I think they both need to brought people along slowly. I think they both need to be in very supportive, nurturing, teaching environments where there's not pressure for them to see the field, not pressure for them to save the day. I think if either of them goes to a situation where people are looking to throw them out there and, you know, hey, save us, I think it'll end up being a problem for both of them. But those are the two that have the most exciting, scintillating physical potential as those two. Uh, Mayfield isn't a guy with exciting, scintillating physical potential, but he's so solid, so steady, so accurate. Uh, I'm not going to say he's Drew Brees, but you'll whip out that comparison and Russell Wilson. He's not as good as either of those were. I, got his, I saw both those guys a great deal, and he's not that. But is he Case Keenum, but more athletic? Yes. And look what a more athletic Case Keenum can do for you because you just saw what Case Keenum could do for you in the right situation. Is there anybody I left out from the quarterback class? Um, Riley Ferguson is interesting. I see he put back on a bunch of the weight he lost. Apparently he'd been sick right before the East-West Shrine game. Weighed in at 196 there at 6'2 and 3 quarters. Now he's back up to 212, which, you know, isn't exactly huge since people are worrying about Lamar Jackson at 216. But he looks better, right? He, 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 I, I, I didn't, almost didn't recognize him when he showed up at East-West Shrine. It's like, good Lord, he looks like a punter, you know? But, uh, but yeah, he's, he's at least put back off some weight. Uh, he's another guy I think has a chance to be, if not a starter, then a, I, I think he's more likely a, a, a career backup, but a pretty good one. Um, there's a lot of guys who people are just start talking about at all who I think have a chance to at least be backup. 
Luis Perez uh, from the national champions, right? Texas yeah. A&M uh, Chad Kanoff, right? The Ivy League. There's even one Ivy League quarterback every year that I like, and this year it's him. And I'm, like I said, I'm a big fan of a kid named Grant Russell from Ohio Dominican who has flown way under the radar. I think that uh, from uh, South Dakota, uh, Chris Strelier is another guy that people are just sleeping on, but he's got the big arm. If you like arms, he's got he's got the, he's got the hose. Uh, he's been Decent athlete, consistently accurate, tough kid, smart kid. Uh, there's a there's a, a lot of good backup types in this league. A handful of guys I think will be long-term starters that we've already discussed. And even some of those guys that people think are going to be, you know, I don't think there's any superstars though, amongst the entire class. Uh, but, well, Rosen, maybe, Darnold, maybe. Uh, I think our guys going to have a chance in the right, again, right situation to be to be stars. Uh, Rosen, if he goes particularly to a situation where the coaching staff, I don't say stays out of his way, because uh, that's that'd be exaggerating. But but he's a guy that operates best with a certain amount of trust and freedom. And I think even early on, he can be trusted to get you in and out of the right play. I mean, he's really smart. I guess what I'm saying. Uh, Darnold, less so. I'm not saying he's not smart, but he, his decision making, like I said, almost not quite as bad as Allen's, but it's certainly concerned me at times. Uh, of course, the best decision maker in the whole class is probably what's going to Mayfield. I mean, he's almost never wrong. In terms of just, if you're just saying, okay, how often are we in the right play to attack this defense? Oklahoma may have done that better than any other team, or close to anybody in the country. I'm trying to think who else was as good as being in the right play. I mean, he was in the right play darn near probably 88% of the time. I mean, he's extremely good at checking to the right thing. And people underestimate how important that is. It's nice to be six foot five and throw the ball a country mile, but if you can't check into or out of the right plays, it won't matter. And Mayfield excels at the line of scrimmage at getting into the right play. People underestimate just how important a spell that is. So, yeah, that's – that's. now, I'm super geeked about the wide receiver class, probably more than most. Um, I think some people, because they don't see a Julio Jones, they don't see, you know, Calvin Johnson. Well, good luck on seeing another Calvin Johnson. But hmm. – if you're looking for a mental picture of a classic X-type receiver, 6'3", 6'4", 220, 225, 230 pounds, Brandon Marshall, whoever, that guy probably isn't going to walk through the door in this class. However, if you don't mind Jordy Nelson, you know, if you don't mind, there's a lot of really good Devontae Adams. In fact, a lot, all of the Green Bay Packers receivers, you seen the last over years, Greg Jennings, uh, Cobb, all those guys, all those guys are in this class. If you like the Green Bay Packers receivers, you're going to love this draft class because there's a bunch of guys who are very reminiscent of the Green Bay Packers receivers. So you may not find Julio Jones because, once again, I mean, he's almost, you know, Calvin Johnson. That guy comes along every 10, 15 years. Good luck. Mm. Right. If you're okay with getting a really good 
NFL wide receiver. He's going to be can play some on the outside, can line up in the slot. He's going to get you 70, 80 catches, somewhere between 800 and 1,200 yards receiving for eight years. That guy is all throughout this draft class. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be able to blow this. There's a lot of... Hey, 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 sorry. Yeah. Give me Got him. Um, yeah, I'd just like to throw in... Um, with uh, this class, I'm not writing an article lately. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't think there's any top ten talents. Like you said, I mean, Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk are my top two on the board, but I think Ridley's a mid first round. Uh, Kirk's a late first rounder. But uh, I just wanted to say, Bill, uh, I actually kind of have to go here, but uh, thanks for having me on. This is a lot of fun. Well, I mean, you're well, pretty much a walking encyclopedia. So, but before you run, tell people uh-huh. where they can find. Before you run, tell people where they can find your work and where they can follow you. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I'm on Twitter. It's uh, at NFL underscore Draft Hub. Uh, you'll see me posting a lot of quick, you know, six, seven minute uh, or six, seven second uh, little tweets about prospects and where I have them ranked. And then I'm an NFL draft writer at Dynasty League Football. They'll have rankings. I'll have mock drafts, all sorts of things there. So uh, those are my two main places to follow me. And, uh, yeah, this is a lot of fun. I mean, I was amazed at how much you had a history, you know, the game, Bill. It's uh, uh, really fun to hear. Well, I'm – I'm old. So one of the things I can share with people who are young who have all the energy and all the, the stuff that you guys have is grounding, historical basis for everything that's happening. And hopefully right. that'll help to push you along in your growth and your development because that's, mm-hmm. you know, just like when the, when the veteran has the rookie in rookie camp, hopefully they impart to them what it takes to be successful in the game. Uh, exactly. That's what I offer. It has been a thrill. You're one of my favorite young young guns out there, and I hope that you continue to have great success. Uh, you clearly have a really good insight into the game, and I hope you keep growing and learning, and I love your work. Sounds good, Bill. I'll uh, be in touch with you, and uh, this is a lot of fun, as I mentioned, so thanks for all saying all that, and um, I'll be sure to keep, uh, keep up with this podcast. Excellent. Well, the pleasure is mine, and now that I have your email address, I'll email you um, what's going on in the future. Uh, I'm going to have a, a big old quarterbacking roundtable with a bunch of quarterback gurus a little bit further down the line and a few other guys. But, yeah, great stuff. Thank you once again for your time, your talent, and your attention, young man. You have a good evening. Um, you too. Bye, Bill. So, for those who don't already know, that was Brad Italo. He is a really hardworking, bright guy who's got some very good insights into this glass class. And I think that as he continues to grow and improve, you're going to see some great stuff from him, even greater stuff from him in the future. Uh, so, coming up soon, though not this week, but next week, as I mentioned, not next week, but future weeks, uh, I'm going to have a big quarterback sort of roundtable, Ben Albright, Ben Fennel, uh Mark uh, Schofield, uh, probably someone else I haven't thought of yet. Um, we'll all be there. I'll have one sort of general one with uh, Justin Higdon and Jeff Risden and Ryan Boer and of course, Jim, my usual compadre. I'm going to do some big things as we get, you know, building up to the, the actual draft. And then, of course, culminating with the mock draft of Palooza, a three-day, oh, sweet Jesus, why are we doing this? Uh, All-day event, well, five hours, 15 hours. 15 hours of live mock draft action where we do all 250-some-odd picks. Because that's how you do it. So, uh, once again, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. We'll do this again in one week.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.